Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction. This is your pilot, Daniel French. We're going back to Mars for part three of Patricia Keeler's Colony. Let's not dilly-dally buckle in and hang on. Here we go. The very next evening... Connie, Skye, and Chase walked along the dimly lit back streets to Clagg's home. Connie had deliberately chosen to follow the narrow back streets instead of the more usual and obvious route to the house of her father's advisor. There was less chance of them being spotted by prying eyes following these less frequented alleyways and lanes. Clagg's house was an ostentatious palace, very much in keeping with his personality. The little group entered through the back courtyard to avoid being seen. Connie, Skye, and Chase entered through a large gate into an airy, flower-filled courtyard. When they reached the back door, Connie knocked quietly. The door opened a tiny crack. Part of a man's face could be seen. Skye recognized her father's worried eyes immediately. Ah, Dad! On seeing his daughter, Mark Hammond opened the door fully. Now Skye could observe her father. The once athletic, broad-shouldered man had been reduced to a shadow of his former self. He was dressed in the uniform of all Martian slaves, a baggy, shapeless tunic and trousers. His uniform hung off him, revealing here and there a bony frame. Oh, Dad, what has Clegg done to you? (laughs) I'm okay, Skye. It's just that... Clag doesn't really give us that much to eat. You look good, Skye. As he spoke, a smile lit up his face. And for the first time since she had arrived, Skye could see something of her father's optimistic and buoyant character reappearing. The Emperor looks after us well. This is Pani, the Emperor's daughter. She arranged this meeting for us. I've heard that the Emperor is just and fair, and now I know that everything I have heard about him is true. Where is my father, Mr. Hammond? A man suddenly appeared from the shadows. Chase gasped when he saw his father. For if anything, he was even thinner than Mark Hammond. And unlike Skye's father, the light seemed to have gone out of his eyes. 
What has Clag done to you? Oh, I thought I'd never see you again. I'm here now, Dad. It's going to be all right. You wait and see. I'm not sure if anything can ever be all right again. Sky and I will bring you and Mr. Hammond extra food. We won't let you starve, I promise, Dad. It's not just a question of what happens to Mark and I. The situation is much more serious. What do you mean? Well, I overheard Clagg talking with some other advisors. They hope to overthrow the Emperor and take control. If they do, the first thing they plan to do is launch an attack on Babylon. They plan to attack the colony? Yes. Babylon is in danger. And my father, too. Yes, your father is in real imminent danger. We must warn him. It may already be too late. Clagg has many followers. Clagg has made them all believe that war with humans is necessary. It will be almost impossible to get them to change their minds. There must be a way. I hope you're right. I really do, for all our sakes. Brad Priestley stared at the young Martian, feeling something akin to friendship toward her species for the first time. When Skye, Chase, and Pawnee left Clagg's palace that evening, they did so with mixed emotions. Both Skye and Chase were happy to see their fathers, but all three were burdened by what they had learned. Pawnee was fearful for the Emperor's life, and Skye and Chase now knew that the colony could soon be under attack. On arrival back at Emperor Mag's residence that evening, Pawnee, Skye, and Chase were quick to report back to their friends Troy and Summer about what they had learned. Troy knew immediately what had to be done. We have to rescue Sky and Chase's fathers, and then we have to make sure that the Emperor and the household are safe. That means that all of us have to find a way to escape from here and get back to the colony. But we can't escape to your human colony. We are Martians. If you stay here, you'll probably be killed. You are right. It is too dangerous for us to remain here. Over the next few days, a plan was formulated by Pawnee and her human friends. They would use the same space probe Troy and his companions had used to travel across the Martian surface to get back to Babylon. The probe had been hidden away in the subterranean courtyard of the headquarters of the Martian government. Emperor Mag knew this building like the back of his hand, and he also knew that the courtyard was a place rarely visited by anybody. Security here was lax. There were only a couple of armed guards on duty to guard the probe, and Pawnee had worked out an ingenious way to distract them. I made a discovery some time ago that I had completely forgotten about until now. Go on. When you and your friends arrived, I found some chocolate in the pockets of your clothes. It smelled so good that I had to try it, but when I did, it acted like some sort of drug. I was completely incapacitated for at least half an hour. Thinking it might just be me, I gave some to Borak and my parents. Everyone who tried it had the same reaction. I think chocolate acts like a drug for Martians. Chocolate? Wow. It doesn't do that to us humans, it just makes us fat. So what's your plan? We somehow get the guards in the subterranean courtyard to eat the chocolate, and while they're suffering from the effects of it, we capture the probe. Hmm, I don't know. I think you should go for it. I'll help you get away if you want. You want to help us? Of course I do. I'm human too, aren't I? That evening, after midnight, Emperor Mag and his entire household left the handsome building that had been his residence since he had first been made emperor over 20 years ago. Everyone wore long hooded cloaks that hid their faces. 
and even though the streets were deserted at this late hour, they were all careful to avoid the light of street lamps. Firstly, they headed for Clagg's palatial home. This meant a significant detour, but they had to rescue Brad Priestley and Mark Hammond before attempting to escape. Once they reached his palace, they decided that the best strategy was for only one of them to enter the palace. It was eventually decided that Skye should go, as she was smaller and slimmer than the rest of her human friends, and less likely to unduly alarm the two men they needed to rescue. While the others waited in the shadows, Skye examined the ostentatious building before her. She noticed a small gap in the wall surrounding the building, and she squeezed through that. Once in the courtyard garden, she immediately recognized the door leading to the slaves' quarters. She approached it and tried the door handle. It was locked. However, to the right of the door, there was a window which had been left slightly ajar. She slipped her hand inside of it and released the latch. She was thus able to swing her leg over the ledge and enter the building. She silently made her way to the sleeping quarters. At first, she could not find either man, but in the second-to-last room of the sleeping quarters, she found them both. They were sleeping on narrow, uncomfortable-looking bunks. Skye tiptoed over to her father and gently tapped his arm. He woke up with a start. Shh, Dad, it's me. Wake Brad up, we have to go. Mark Hammond got up quickly and silently went over to his friend. He shook his shoulder. Brad Priestley awoke with a gasp. Brad, we have to leave. Brad Priestley was initially very groggy and seemed to take what felt like forever to Skye to get to his feet. He was so weak that Mark Hammond had to put an arm around his shoulder and help him walk. Both men clambered slowly and rather clumsily out of the window. Skye held her breath as Brad Priestley accidentally almost sent a tankard flying off the windowsill. Moments later, they were heading for the wall. The two men were now so thin that they had very little trouble squeezing through the gap in it. Once outside of Clagg's palace, the trio rejoined the others who were waiting nearby. Now that Brad Priestley and Mark Hammond were rescued, they were ready to enact the second part of their plan. Keeping to the shadows, Troy and his human and Martian friends silently crept toward the government building. Once there, Pawnee went ahead down the dark tunnel that led to the subterranean courtyard. Two guards stood by the entrance to the courtyard. Who are you and what the hell are you doing here? Pawnee pulled down her hood to reveal her face. Princess Patty, what a pleasant surprise. Pawnee smiled at him. The guard was obviously attracted to her. She would use this to her advantage. Try some of this. The delicious, irresistible smell of the chocolate wafted into the guard's nostrils. Both guards took a piece and bit into the small, dark squares hungrily. The taste of the chocolate at first was heavenly, the best thing they had ever tasted. But then, they fell to their knees, completely paralyzed and unable to move. Pawnee motioned to her friends to follow her into the courtyard. Seconds later, they were all running towards the stationary probe. Troy, who was the one most adept at controlling the probe, began to get it ready for takeoff. Unfortunately, the process was taking rather longer than expected. Johnny Martelli glanced through one of the portholes. The guards were beginning to come to their senses. He watched, horrified, as both guards slowly rose to their feet. 
Without another moment's hesitation, he leapt off the probe and faced the two guards. One of the guards was aiming some sort of laser gun at him. Suddenly and unexpectedly, Johnny Martelli leapt through the air. His leg kicked the laser gun out of the guard's hand. The laser went flying across the floor, and before either guard could reach him, Martelli had picked it up and was aiming the gun straight back at them. How long are you two guards on duty for? Until the morning. Will anybody else come down here until then? No. I want you both to eat this chocolate. We can. You can and you will. The guards began eating the chocolate, and even as they ate, their bodies seemed to become more and more paralyzed. By the time both guards had finished their bars of chocolate, they were totally immobile on the ground. Johnny Martelli jumped onto the probe just as it was ready to take off. The probe rose into the air with a high-speed whoosh and was out of the courtyard and flying across the Martian city on its way to freedom. Where now, Emperor Mag? To the teleportation pad. The probe was now heading for a strange-looking domed structure. As the probe approached it, the dome opened up like the two halves of an Easter egg. The probe then landed in what Troy thought looked like a sunken jacuzzi without any water in it. Emperor Mag descended from the probe and went over to a panel containing what seemed like about a thousand switches, buttons, and levers. He pressed a few and then dashed back into the probe. There was a blinding light, and for everyone on board, a slight feeling of nausea. But when Troy gazed out of the porthole seconds later, he realized that they were no longer in the Martian underground city, but on the surface of the planet. Beam me up, Scotty. Where are you taking us now? Home to Babylon. You can't take us to your colony. We'll be killed. No, you won't. I'll find a way to hide you. But you can't keep us hidden away forever. I can keep you hidden until we find a way to solve the situation. Yes. We shall go to your colony. Our lives are now in human hands. An hour and a half later, the probe was approaching the colony's biospheres. To Troy and his friends, the familiar world of the colony beneath its protective domes seemed like an oasis, a garden of Eden in the midst of an alien and barren wilderness. They could hardly wait to get home. Troy steered the probe through the tunnel and airlocks that separated the outside Martian terrain from the colony within. The probe was now hovering over the verdant forests of the Wild Zone. You won't be able to fly this probe into the center of Babylon. You'll be spotted immediately like that. I will leave the probe here and then use the hover bikes you stashed away on board instead. You can get about two or three people riding Pillion. Anyway, the Martians are quite small. You should just about make it. You keep saying you. Aren't you coming too, Johnny? No, no. I want to take my chances here in the Wild Zone. You'll grant me that, won't you? I think we owe it to you to let you stay in the Wild Zone, if that's what you want. It is what I want. If you don't tell the authorities about me being with you, they won't bother coming to search for me here, as they probably gave up looking for me a long time ago. I've got a chance to live here in the wilderness. I don't mind. It's very beautiful, and there'll be plenty to eat. I'll be okay. Are you sure? Absolutely positive. Johnny Martelli watched as the hoverbikes rose into the air and gradually became small dots on the horizon. Then he glanced around the clearing he was standing in, his eyes already searching for something to eat. 
Troy hoped that the makeshift disguises he had found for his Martian friends would not draw too much attention to them. Each Martian had been given a long hooded cloak. Their smallish stature meant that dressed in this fashion they resembled a group of children. Troy did not need to worry. No one glanced at them at all as their hover bikes flew across the car. Before long, they had reached Troy and Summer's home. The rest had been easy. This would be the hard part, getting a family of Martians into their apartment without their parents noticing. It was Troy's plan to smuggle his Martian friends into the empty penthouse apartment just above theirs. The penthouse could only be reached via a staircase in the Robinson's apartment, and this was the principal reason why the penthouse had remained empty for so long. No one wanted to live in an apartment that could only be accessed via another apartment. Troy aligned his eyes with the identity scanner by the front door. The scanner confirmed the iris pattern as belonging to Troy Robinson, and seconds later the front door automatically clicked open. The apartment was in darkness. It was the very early hours of the morning, and both of Troy's parents were asleep. Troy tiptoed across the apartment toward the staircase. He was followed silently by Summer and Emperor Mag and his family. Sky and Chase had both returned to their own homes with their fathers. Suddenly, Summer tripped over an unseen object in the semi-darkness. She fell to the ground, and as she did so, she knocked over a lamp. There was a loud crash. The lights went on in Dexter and Dana Robinson's bedroom. Dexter Robinson leapt out of bed and ran into the living room. He switched the light on and was confronted by his son and daughter, plus a group of gray-skinned humanoid creatures that definitely looked alien. Troy's father went white and seemed almost to faint with shock and surprise. However, after a second or two, he regained his balance and composure. Where have you been these last few weeks? Your mother and I, uh, we thought you were both dead. We were captured, Dad. By these creatures? By the Martians. They live in underground cities far below the planet's surface, and most of them don't want the colony here on Mars. All of the people who disappeared were captured by the Martians and made into slaves. Summer and I were lucky. We were sent to live with Emperor Mag and his family. They treated us well. Panny, the Emperor's daughter, helped us free Mark Hammond and Brad Priestley but they discovered that one of Emperor Mag's advisors, Clag, is planning some sort of rebellion against the Emperor, and we now know that an attack on the colony is being planned by Clag and his followers. And this is Emperor Mag and his family? Yes. I have to hide them away until we work out what to do. He and his family are in as much danger as we are. We've got to protect them somehow. But they're Martians. If anybody finds out we're hiding aliens, we'll be arrested and sent to prison or something. You can't send Emperor Mag and his family back there. They'll be treated as traitors by Clag and his cronies. Very well. Against my better judgment, we'll hide Emperor Mag and his family here with us until we manage to formulate some sort of plan to get us out of this fix. It was thus Emperor Mag and his family were installed in the penthouse suite just above Troy's own apartment. Troy ensured that they were provided with food and anything else they might need to live comfortably for a few weeks. Troy, however, was very much aware of time running out. A solution to their problems had to be found soon, but no matter how much he racked his brains, no such solution was forthcoming. One day, shortly after the Martian family's first arrival in the colony, 
the emperor's son, Borak, suggested an idea to Troy that at first seemed strange. There is a Martian legend that says that in the last days of strife, a secret will be revealed that will put an end to all hardship and that it will unite worlds. The secret is said to be buried under the face of man mountain. Oh, I know where you mean. Way back in the 1970s, NASA's Viking 1 spacecraft snapped photographs of this weird-looking human face on the surface of Mars. It became known as the face on Mars. It was in an area we named Cydonia. Later on, it was revealed that the facial features were just a trick of the shadows. It's nothing more than a mountain. Strangely enough, though, it has become the stuff of myth and legend, even within our own culture. It is said that something very important is buried there. What are you saying, Borak? I want to find out what's buried under that mountain. Isn't that a very long shot? We shouldn't be wasting our time with long shots. I know it's a long shot, but do you have any other ideas for now? Well, no. Very well. It's settled then. I will explore that region and see what I can find. I can't let you go it alone. I will come with you. Troy and Borak decided that they would take the hover bikes down to the wild zone where they would then find the probe they had used before, and then they would travel to the Cydonia region, locate the face on Mars mountain, find what they were searching for, and return home as fast as possible. It was a plan they needed to carry out in utmost secrecy. No one should know about their intentions, not even Summer, Sky, or Chase, and least of all Troy's parents. They planned to put their plans into action as soon as they could, this would be as soon as they finalized the last details of their plan. Troy decided they should set off the very next morning. In the early hours of the following day, Troy and Borak donned their spacesuits, packed some provisions, a first aid kit, and some safety equipment, and set off on their hover bikes to the wild zone. Troy headed for where he had last seen the probe and Johnny Martelli. At first, when he and Borak hovered overhead, they could not spot the probe. But then, Borak thought he saw something metallic glimmering in the sunlight. Troy and Borak flew down for a closer look, and sure enough, it was the probe. Johnny Martelli had covered it with leaves and branches in order to camouflage it. As the boys approached the probe, Martelli came to greet them. Hello. What are you two doing back here so soon? We need the probe, Johnny. Why? We need to go to the Cydonia region to look for something. That sounds interesting. And what would this something be? Borak is convinced that the mountain that looks like a bit like a human face, you know, the face on Mars, hides some sort of secret, a secret that will bring an end to war and strife. He wants to find this secret. I know it's a long shot, but, well, it's worth a try, isn't it? Hmm. I'm living in the probe now. It's my home. I'll tell you what, if you let me come with you, I'll let you use the probe. You want to come with us? Yes, it sounds like a dangerous mission. I don't think I should let two boys of your age just go off on your own like that. Okay. I suppose it would be safer if you came along. An hour later, the probe was ready for its mission. All of the plants, branches, and vegetation Johnny Martelli had used for camouflage were removed, and it was ready once more to fly. Troy took a deep breath as the probe rose into the air. They were once again venturing into the unknown. The probe flew out of the tunnel, making the biosphere to the planet outside. 
Now, it was flying over Martian terrain again. Troy felt a moment's misgiving. What would they do if they were spotted by one of Clagg's patrols? What if the probe was overcome by a sandstorm again? Luckily, though, as they flew towards the Cydonia region, there was no sign of either Clagg's patrols or sandstorms. As they landed at the base of the mountain, Troy wondered how they would find a tiny secret in such a large geological feature. This is a big mountain. How are we going to find anything buried here? I've got a map. Troy stared at the map. The symbols and writing meant nothing to him, but to Borak, they were clear instructions regarding where the secret was buried. Borak studied the map for a while and then announced in a loud voice, It's over there! Borak headed for a spot just at the foot of the mountain. Troy and Johnny Martelli followed close at his heels. Borak started digging. Come on, you two. Are you going to help me or not? All three of them started digging. However, after half an hour, there was still no sign of the buried treasure. Are you sure there's something here? Yes, I'm sure this is the spot. How do you know that map's not just a load of old baloney? I don't want to give up just yet. I'm sure that if we just keep digging... Hey, wait a minute. I think my spades just hit something hard. It's a container of some kind. Borak lifted the container out of the Martian soil. It was much smaller and lighter than he had expected. What could be of such importance in so small and light a container? The container was not really much more than a metal box. Not really all that much bigger than the sort of box children use to carry their packed lunches to school in. Borak tried to open it, but the box appeared to be shut tight. As Borak, Troy, and Johnny stared at the box, each one of them wondered how to open the container, for it appeared to have no lock or key. And yet, no matter how any of them tried, the box refused to show what was held within it. Just then, a faint noise in the sky made Johnny Martelli look up. He gasped with horror as he realized that a Martian spaceship was hovering above their heads. The spaceship was nothing like he had ever seen before. It had a gray, streamlined metallic body that somehow reminded him of a giant beetle, and it moved far faster than the colony's own space shuttles and probes. The Martian craft landed just to the left of Troy and his friends. A portal suddenly appeared in the craft, and three Martians ran out of the ship toward their little group. Johnny pulled a laser gun out of his pocket and shot at the two Martians. Two of them fell to the ground. One of them had been badly injured in the chest, and the other had injuries to both his arms and legs. The third Martian stared at the assembled group. Borak, you traitor! Johnny Martelli saw the Martian soldier aim his gun at Borak and leapt in front of his Martian friend. The laser gun hit Johnny in the shoulder. He sighed with pain, but not before he had fired a shot of his own at the alien soldier, killing him outright. You saved my life. This is the second time you've put us before your own safety, Johnny. I will see to it that my father rewards you for your acts of bravery. Hey, will you two stop jabbering? We need to get out of here before those two other soldiers regain consciousness and before they send out another patrol. Moments later, they were back on board the probe and heading toward the colony. 
Troy found that he now had the difficult task of simultaneously piloting the probe and examining Johnny's wounded shoulder. Luckily, it appeared that the wound was not deep, merely a surface scratch. Troy disinfected it and bandaged it up as best he could. You'll live. You're right, I'm a tough old dog. I'll be just fine. Once inside the biosphere, they headed for the wild zone. As they reached the heart of the forest, Troy tried to persuade Johnny Martelli to return home with him and Borak. Please come with us, Johnny. We need you to help explain about today. I can't. I'm a wanted man, remember? Very well, but we won't forget about what you did today. Troy and Borak got on their hover bikes and waved farewell to Johnny Martelli as he slowly became a smaller and more distant figure below them. As soon as the boys had disappeared out of sight, Johnny began to cover the probe with leaves and branches again. When Troy and Borak returned to the Robinson family home that afternoon, they found a reception committee waiting for them. Dexter Robinson and Dana Robinson were there, and so were Summer and Emperor Mag and his entire family. And just where the hell have you been? We found something buried under the face of Mars. The legend of the face of man? Yes, this is it. It's in this container. Have you opened it? Um, no. We don't know how to. Emperor Mag stared at the box and then back at his son. He took out his laser gun and fired it at the box. There was a loud hiss as the container snapped open. Father! You could have damaged the contents like that. There's a sequence of symbols that will open that container, but they are long forgotten. Forcing the box open is the only way. Now that the container was open, everyone in the room slowly approached it. Troy stared at the contents of the box together with everyone else. Within the container were what looked like two large books. Borak opened the first book and began turning the pages carefully. The pages of the book were almost crumbling to bits with age, and the language used in the book was extremely archaic Martian, but Borak and his father could easily understand the meaning of it. As they read on, Troy stared at his friend and Emperor Mag. Their faces betrayed the shock and amazement they were feeling. What does the book say? It says that many, many thousands of years ago, in a time before time... Martians landed on Earth. They mingled with the then primitive inhabitants of Earth. And before they left, they impregnated a number of Earth women. This cross-speciing breeding was possible because at this time we had not yet evolved into what we have become today. And humans were exceedingly primitive back then, still living in caves and hunting and gathering. Humans have Martian DNA within them. Oh my God, you're part of us. This changes everything. Borak told me once that the Martians are slowly dying. He told me that you would probably be extinct within a hundred years. Yes, this is true, but what are you trying to get at? Well, I was thinking, what if we repeat what happened on Earth thousands of years ago, only this time we do it in reverse? How do you mean? What if we give you Martians our human DNA? Wouldn't that strengthen your deteriorating DNA and save your species from extinction in a hundred years' time? It might just work. We wouldn't need to go around impregnating Martian females. It could all be done in the lab artificially, 
using IVF. I think this could be the solution to all of our problems. We just have to persuade our own people to accept it. I will explain the situation to the government of the colony. I think they will listen when they understand that there are Martian forces ready to go to war with us. Forces that could annihilate us easily because Martian technology is centuries ahead of our own. Trying to persuade Clagg and his followers may be an altogether more difficult task, but I do think we can make them listen. Who can you send to Clagg and his cronies? I don't know. I will go, Father. No, you can't. It's too dangerous. I'll go with him, but only if you allow Johnny Martelli to accompany us. The same Johnny Martelli who was wanted for the assassination of Senator McFerguson? He's not a bad man, Dad. He killed the senator because of the things McFerguson did to his family. Johnny Martelli saved our lives twice. He's actually very brave. I'd be dead if it wasn't for him. Very well, then. Martelli can accompany you. Dexter and Dana Robinson were not at all happy about their son going into such a dangerous situation with Emperor Mag's son and a wanted criminal. But they knew better than to try and stop him, for they knew that once Troy had decided to do something, nothing in the universe would make him change his mind. Preparations for Troy, Borak, and Johnny Martelli to be sent as envoys to the Martians began. In the meantime, Dexter Robinson arranged a meeting with Senator Black, the man who had been chosen to replace Senator McFerguson. At first, Senator Black did not believe what Dexter was telling him. However, when he came face to face with Emperor Mag and realized just how much more advanced Martian technology was, he was slowly persuaded that some sort of alliance between humans and Martians was necessary to avoid war and the destruction of the colony. This part of the plan was relatively easy to achieve, but everyone involved was acutely aware that trying to persuade Clagg and his followers would not be nearly as simple. When the time finally came to put their plan into action, everyone was there to see off Troy, Borak, and Johnny Martelli. Emperor Mag, his wife Tessa, and his daughter Pani bid a tearful farewell to Borak. Please, take care of Borak. I won't let any harm come to either of them. I wish you weren't going. I have to do this, Skye. I know, but it doesn't make it any easier to say goodbye. I'm proud of you, son. Troy? Don't cry, Mom. Everything's gonna be fine. Troy, Borak, and Johnny Martelli donned their spacesuits, boarded their hoverbikes, and watched as the bikes rose up into the air, leaving their friends and family waving frantically at them from far below. The hoverbikes zoomed across the colony, and before long, they had reached the biosphere tunnel leading to the Martian world beyond. Soon, Troy and his friends were hovering over the Martian landscape. Borak was leading them instinctively toward the far distant mountains and gorges to the place he had always called home. They had not been traveling toward their destination for more than a quarter of an hour when Troy noticed a dark shape high up in the pink-tinted sky. As the shape drew closer, Troy realized that it was a Martian spacecraft, much like the one they had seen previously. They've played right into our hands. You want them to capture us? Yes, how else would we have found a way into the underground city? Like this, they're liable to take us straight to Clagg. Troy, Borak, and Johnny put up very little resistance when the Martian spaceship finally cornered them. As predicted, they were led at gunpoint to Clagg. 
Clagg was seated at the head of a large, round table, surrounded by his team of advisors and followers. Many of them had once been advisors to the Emperor. Clagg was looking very regal in his rich robes. Paintings of leaders past stared down at him from the emerald walls. Clagg was clearly enjoying every minute of his newly obtained influential position. Troy, Borak, and Johnny Martelli were dragged across the hall by Clagg's guards. Execute all three of them! Listen to what we have to say first. Ah, Borak, the traitor. I'm not a traitor. You have to listen to what I found out. Take them away! I think we should listen to what the boy has to say. He is Mag's son, after all. Yes, we should give him a fair hearing at least. Very well. You have three minutes to say your piece. Better make it snappy. I'm sure you are all aware of the legend of the Face of Man Mountain. It is said that a secret is buried beneath that mountain. Troy, Johnny, and I found a box hidden there. Within this container was an ancient book, and this book spoke of something that had happened in our distant past. It stated that many centuries ago, when we were still young as a race, we visited Earth, mingled with the then primitive humans, impregnated their women, and then left. Mankind has Martian DNA. Humans are part of us. We can't destroy them. Even if what you say is true, it was obviously a very long time ago. They are our enemies now. I don't know. This does change things. Rubbish! I think we should still go ahead with our plan. Wait, there is more. You've had your chance to speak. No, wait. Let the boy continue. It would be scientifically possible to obtain human DNA and use it to revive our rapidly deteriorating DNA. After all, we once gave them part of our DNA. Now it is their turn to help us by giving us part of theirs. Human DNA can help us, otherwise we will face extinction in the near future. Kill Borak and the two humans too! No, the boys speak sense. We must stop this foolish war with the humans. They're part of us, and we need their help to survive. There were nods of agreement. Clegg stared at his advisors. Half an hour ago, he had them eating out of his hand, and now they were ready to rebel against him. He would not be part of an alliance with the humans. Clegg rose to his feet and walked slowly to the door. He turned to give his advisors one last imperious stare, and then he was gone. We must free all our human slaves immediately and return them to the colony. This is a new dawn for humans and Martians alike. Troy smiled and shook his hand. Tell Emperor Mag that his people need him. I will. Roughly a week after Troy, Borak, and Johnny Martelli were sent as peace envoys to the Martians, a special celebratory meal was held. Guests included Troy and his family and friends, Emperor Mag and his family, as well as Senator Black and various important government officials, and Emperor Mag's advisors were also in attendance. Senator Black stood on a podium and spoke first. Today is a great day in the history of mankind. It is a day when we reach out and embrace another alien race. And yet, in a way, the Martians are part of us, as we are of them. 
I want all present to know that we are going to build a better world on Mars for both humans and Martians. Together we will terraform the planet and make it habitable. Years from now, there will not be Martians and humans living in two separate places, one above the planet in a biosphere and one in underground cities, but just the one species on a beautiful, lush, green planet. We will all be Martians in a way, and this will be our home. The senator sat down, and Emperor Mag took to the podium. He was dressed in his finest ceremonial gown, and despite his small stature and alien appearance, Troy thought that he cut an impressive figure. Senator Black has already expressed what we all feel, so I would just like to add on a personal note that I am extremely grateful to Troy Robinson and his family and friends for all the help and support they have given me. Were it not for them, my family and I would, in all likelihood, either be in prison or dead. And perhaps more importantly, we might never have discovered the truth, our shared truth, and our shared solution. I owe you all so very much. And there is one man who is not present here today to whom we all owe a great debt, for he saved our lives not once, but twice. He is a man of courage. I am speaking of Johnny Martelli. Martelli is a wanted man, an assassin. I know. I ask that despite this, you grant him his freedom. I ask that he is not punished for his crime. I cannot grant that. He must be punished in some way. Then exile him from the colony. I will take him in. He will be one of my advisors. Please, Senator Black. Johnny Martelli did something very wrong, but he was provoked, and he's not a bad man, really. In fact, I think he's one of the bravest men I ever met. Very well. I agree. That evening, Troy walked home to the Robinson apartment. His mother and father hung back some way behind. Troy, Summer, Sky, and Chase walked on ahead. Troy had his arm around Sky's waist. I'm glad I came to Mars. I've made so many new friends Chase, Borak, Penny, and you. Troy kissed Sky tenderly on the mouth. He looked up. A rust colored sunset lit up the horizon. <sighs> it has its own beauty, doesn't it? Troy stared at the tall buildings of Babylon reaching up like fingers to touch the roof of the biosphere. The whole of the colony was bathed in gentle rose-colored light, and beyond the biosphere he could just make out the red, desert-like Martian landscape. Yes, it does. It's very beautiful. Troy took in every detail of this world that had at first seemed so alien, but which now felt like he belonged to completely. Colony is written by Patricia Keeler. Your very skilled narrator is none other than Jeff Moon. Troy Robinson is played by Joe Brillen. Sky Hammond is M.A. Dorfler. Dexter Robinson, a.k.a. Troy's dad, is played by Steve Katz. Senator McFerguson is voice acted by Joe Stofko. Chase Priestley is voice acted by Scott Slagle. Summer Robinson is played by Nina Bricko. Dana Robinson, known as Troy's mom, is played by Alana Labarine. Mac is voice acted by Frank Guglielmelli. Sally is played by Jennifer Knighton. Elder Martian, voice acted by Anne Greist. Young adult Martian, 
Frank Guglielmelli. Emperor Mag is voice acted by Pete Lutz. Clag is played by Rich Green. Borak is voice acted by Paul Arbisi. Television newscasters and other voices are by Daniel French, Caitlin Curtis, and Spencer J. Frederick. Editing, sound design, and music are by Daniel French at Fishbonius Sound Design. Thank you again for traveling the spectral streams on Chronosphere Fiction. Until next time, keep your cosmos clean. Thank you for listening to Wednesday Wonders right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual feeds, including Monday Matinee for classic live and theatrical audio plays, Tuesday Terrors for horror audio drama, Thursday Thrillers for action, adventure, mystery, and crime drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. This is the Mutual Audio Network, listening and imagining together.